0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome to a We're All a Little Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Darren Ravel, along with Eric Husson and Theo Fleury. Uh, Last week, we brought on uh, Mike Sweetney. Uh, the former Knicks uh, pick, first round draft pick uh, to talk about in light of Shikari Richardson and her losing her, her mother and then not making the Olympic team and the association with uh, not making the Olympic team because she was suspended because of use of marijuana uh, just to talk to uh, Mike about him losing his father, what led to his overdose. We like to, take current events and talk about mental health in that regard was my favorite episode. Mike went really deep on so much, including the NBA and professional sports teams trying to normalize mental health by making it a quick quick fix solution and not offering anything substantive. Surprise, surprise. So uh, this week we have Richard Sherman, Uh, pieces of his story came out. In piecemeal, like they usually do. Uh, and we want to kind of synthesize that story and bring in a special guest to make it more meaningful from a mental health standpoint. So, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Eric. Yeah. You know, the first off, you know, I loved having Mike on
1: as well. I think the only way we really, you know, rip the band aid off on this topic of mental health is getting deep and getting vulnerable. And, you know, Darren, you always talk about the ad lib, what the media shares. And, you know, with Richard Sherman, you have a guy who is looked out at by the league as a model citizen. You and I joked a little bit before this that, you know, he could run his mouth on the field. He's a little bit of a shit talker in, in a fun way. Um, but, but the guy's a, a five-time pro bowler. He's played for only two teams his entire career, seven. When a member from a leadership perspective of the NFL PA executive committee runs a charitable program called Stanford guy, Stanford guy, you know, uh, a program called the, the blanket coverage program, um, helping kids in underserved communities get school supplies. And, you know, by all intents and purposes, you haven't heard many negative public things about Richard Sherman. And then all of a sudden it's late at night. One night last week is about four or five days ago. And you hear Um, you know, it was ESPN I saw first report it, um, but it was a 911 call from Richard Sherman's wife. Now, Richard Sherman is in a suburb in Seattle. Um, The 911 call that's released, you hear his wife say that he was drinking, um, that he crashed his car on the highway, and that he charged their house, and that on the 911 call, not from Richard himself, we hear um, that he threatened suicide. And so, Immediately, those are the headlines that are thrown out there. Richard Sherman, you know, uh, says that he's willing to attempt suicide, gets into a car accident, drinks a bottle of alcohol, right? All all the things that are going to turn the pages. Um, And then the video cam from his house gets released, and we see uh, angered Richard Sherman charging um, at the door of his father-in-law, where his wife was at, making the 911 call and visibly upset, right? But in fairness to the whole situation, um, cops come, um, you know, there was some altercation with a, with a canine that was there, but, you know, it didn't get too volatile. Um, there was no domestic abuse in terms of physical abuse, right? Um, you know, he certainly, in terms of his language and the way he was charging, the, 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 there's some questions there. But, here's the but, is, you had the media without having any background of the family situation without any any background of the
0: interpersonal relationships in the Sherman family house everyone should as a media member everyone should just stop but the thing is the media cycle requires journalists to make moves requires columnists to talk about it and then that feeds these assumptions that get dangerous and and those and and Darren you're the expert in
1: media, right? So I get that side of things. And as we, we introduce our guest, the challenge to me is when you want to be the first to report that a trade happened, when you want to be the first to report that, you know, a free agent is talking with another team, fine, I get it. You know, you j- breaking news, right? When it comes to something that's medical, there needs to be better policies in
0: place because we have the people- pro- the, But here's the problem, but here's okay. the problem. The problem is that's not mental health is not considered medical mental health is considered something that is not you my uh, my edict is not to assume injury physical injury there is no edict about assuming mental injury I, I don't disagree. <laughs> and that and there are no and there are no rules
1: i don't disagree with you but But Darren, when we talk about what is medical and what is not, and I think this plays into the narrative of what was shared by the media members, there's a difference between saying a visibly upset Richard Sherman had an altercation at his household versus what we saw from members of the media putting labels on Richard Sherman, right? CTE, this is what happens when football players get hit in the head for 10 years in a row. CTE. Manic depression, this is what happens in the manic episode with manic, you know, with bipolar when someone is in the manic phase, crazy and insane. So I agree with you reporting on the X's and O's of what they see, fine. Reporting now and putting labels on people, look, What do we talk about as an organization? Is that label set us back? (laughs) This is what happens is we put people in this one in five category, this mentally ill group. And we assume because we see an action and, you know, my first reaction, I'm going to tell you as just a person watching this was how many times have i been out on the street growing up and seen a neighbor, someone's uncle, someone's cousin, charging at a door, drinking, you know, being a little belligerent. That is what mental health is. That is what life is and I don't all of a sudden throw labels at these people and put them in buckets and that's exactly what the media was doing that's exactly what fans were doing and so guests for this show that I thought would be perfect is a guy that I met you know a joke with him you know when we were talking prepping for this we kind of finish each other's sentences a lot of times on LinkedIn that's that's where we we met up but former NFL player you know plays for Kansas State goes undrafted ends up getting a chance to play for the Arizona Cardinals um, plays a number of years there, then goes on with the Denver Broncos um, and the San Diego Chargers, defensive side of the ball, has his own story, like our buddy Theo, um, unfortunately, of sexual abuse that he didn't share as publicly until after his career was over. But he brings a really interesting perspective to this whole Richard Sermon situation because he's willing to tell what it's like to be an NFL player off the field. He's willing to. To, to share the ugliness of what goes on, what the job entails, and then what you're dodging in terms of what the media is throwing at you, what fans are throwing at you all the time in these boxes that they're putting you in. So first off, Reg, welcome to, uh, welcome to the show. We're, we're excited to have you and uh, appreciate you coming on, man.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on and thanks for the awesome introduction. I'm glad <laughs> to be <laughs>
1: well you got you you, listen man you're you're an accomplished dude and you know it's it's worthy and and you know I share when I see the stuff that you write all the time you're you're a thinker you're a deep thinker you're not someone who just looks at things surface level so because you're a deep thinker if you don't mind take us through you know the way that I just shared that I as a fan or a mental health advocate Um, consumed the way in which the Richard Sherman story was shared and then Darren gave the perspective of a reporter and you know right now what the rules are or aren't as someone who was in the shoes of a Richard Sherman an NFL player and knows how the media treats you knows how the fans treat you maybe not even as much back when you played because there wasn't as much social media as there is right now though it was starting starting to come up What was your reaction to this whole situation when you first started seeing the media report on it?
2: You know, I just felt bad for him. I I felt bad that no one's really going to know fully what happened that night and why it happened, and no one should. That's a very personal problem that he went through, but because you're... great athlete and your job is on national television um everyone deserves to know what goes on in your personal life and you know so i felt bad first of all and then secondly you know i thought you know i've had nights like that too and then especially when i was even dealing with a lot of trauma i went through you know i've had some very bad nights um so I know how it feels. But then the third thing was it, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't shocked that another another player who's been in that type of environment you know, explodes, especially in the transition out of it, um, given the fact that to even get to that point, you have to be a certain type of person, period. It's, you know, a lot of people want to talk about how it's, you know, athletic ability, no, it's it really is a mindset <laughs> because there's everyone's good, everyone can run, everyone's athletic. But if this is when, like, little things are, are separating you. Um, but I'll go into that a little bit, you know, for time's
1: sake. Well, and, and you're repeating, you know, our friend Theo, who can't join us for this episode, but he talks all the time about the difference between, you know, the guy who makes the NHL and the guy who doesn't. Is their mind, right? And 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 you know, all these guys can play. They're all athletic. You know, he he jokes. He says they're all big, but he he wasn't big. Um, but but you know that mental game and how that separates everyone. And and so you know, when you think of a player like Richard Sherman, there's so many things that that cross my mind as a fan looking at an NFL player. So I'm going to start with one example, Reds, because you played on the defensive side of the ball, right? So in the intro, I shared that Richard Sherman is a 10-year pro, five-year all-pro, wins a Super Bowl. But what happens at year 10, right? You're entering your 30s, you know, your, your early 30s. As a cornerback, the fans, GM, start saying to you, uh, does he have the possibility to switch over to the safety position? Because he, he he's no longer as quick as he was when he was in his twenties. So maybe he could play that. And then look, I'm a Jets fan. So I'll be the first one to tell you that, you know, the, 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 the rumors going around are he played for Robert Sala, you know, in San Francisco on the defensive side of the ball, is Robert going to save his career and keep him going? So like, for an NFL player, and there's so many other things we're going to talk about, Reg, but 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 here's a good one to start with because it's Richard's specific position. Uh-huh. At that 10-year mark, for some other guys, it's the five-year mark. For some other guys, it's the 12-year mark, right? It's different for everyone. But when you start to get questioned whether or not, after you've been this great player, your skills are going to allow you to continue to play, that messes with your mind tremendously. Am I
2: right? Yeah, 100%. That, coupled with the fact that he's played every year and he's gotten himself ready to go through the grind of the NFL season, which is a brutal process. <laughs> it is awful. <laughs> getting yourself ready for training camp and getting used to just being hurt for, you know, 20-something weeks of a year. Like it's, The work that goes into building your body is hell on earth. It sucks. And then going through camp, it's brutal. So, how how I think about it is, you know, I, I've played ten years, you know, I've done a lot, I've accomplished a lot, you know, a lot of people. Even if I were to walk away at this moment, you know, who, you know, I had a phenomenal career. Why am I still playing at this at this point? Then, you know, what am I going to do after this? And then because how it is in that environment as well is every second that you spend thinking of something else actually hurts you on the field because everyone you're competing against everything is solely football 24/7 and the more time you can spend on this the better so when it comes to thinking of stuff outside like what i'm going to have other interests in this i want to do this when i'm done you know the more time you spend in that actually hurts you on the field so, <laughs> which is a crazy thing, to, because I, I tried every year to try to figure out what I wanted to do um, the whole off-season, because that's basically the only time you can think. And it's such a difficult question to do, I mean, to figure out, especially when this is what I've always done. I've, you know, I've done my thing. Like, I wanted to be a dinosaur when I was a kid in kindergarten, <laughs> and I became a dinosaur. You know, and... Why, why do I have to do anything else like this is it you know it's a crazy spot to be in to say the least
1: and 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 I'm given one example of what Richard might be going through wrestling in his mind, which is end of career decisions right he he's He's a good looking dude he's got the interesting hair you know like i said he's a good corporate citizen, and I bring that up because then He's got the options going on TV, right? That's why I brought up the aesthetics and the looks, right? You know, he, he presents himself well. So do I go to TV, but I'm still a competitive guy and my purpose and my identity is tied into who I am as a player. And it's a little bit of a, of a, of a crisis of identity when you're getting towards that end point in your career. But... What I think people aren't taking into consideration is, you know, and I purposely chronologically started with this, Reggie, of the what are some of the things he might be struggling with on the field. And you gave the example of, yes, prepping for a training camp. And, Darren, you'll laugh when I say this. How many times does friggin Theo say, just put the puck on the ice and let me play? <laughs> I didn't want to – I don't want to get involved in practice. I don't want to be doing all the, the film work and stuff. Just, Just let me play. But Richard is also – A husband. He's also a father. In this case, he's also a son-in-law, right? Like that's who we so so we're looking at all these things that are are full of pressure for him that are now boiling up towards the end of his career. And people aren't taking into consideration. Like when you charge a door, when you get angry, like when your animal brain starts to take over, your mammalian brain, and you start to get into this emotional place. Uh, how about there's some interpersonal stuff going on that we have no idea about? That this, th- th- you know, I- I'm going to throw something out there. I have no idea. One of the family members could have not invited another family member to a certain family function that they were having. <laughs> how often does that happen between, you know, uh, husband and wife all the time? And that caused a fight, right? But yet, that's life. We see the blow up here and we have. Every person who's a member of the media and then all the people on social media who follow who are saying, no, CTE, that's what happens. No, bipolar, that's what that is. And that's what I think is really dangerous, that slope we go down. So, so Reggie, I'm assuming being in a locker room you know you could talk about your own situations you could talk about players you could you could you could not name players but how often in a freaking locker room setting did you see husband and wife yelling at each other guys on the phone screaming at each other pushes happening I mean like isn't that what life is yeah
2: you make mistakes you slip up you do crazy stuff sometimes you make bad decisions you know but the fact of the matter because you're doing a job that you're getting paid so much money for you can't do these things like you're immune to doing these things you're immune to having a bad day you're immune to you know taking that conversation a little bit too far you can't do these things it's it's crazy how on one hand you're expected to be a choir boy and then on the opposite hand the exact opposite person like on the football field it was And then trying to, which I've talked to you about definitely in our own time, is, you know, trying to find that equilibrium when you're done. Because you're either, everything is either you're super good. I mean, everything's super good, super okay, um, super high up, like all these emotions, great, great, great. Or it's lowest of the low. And then what you're expected to be from you know, how the public's supposed to, like, see you and view you is, you know, I am, you know, I love the Lord. I, er, everything is good. I, I do everything. I do all this charity work. I'm so nice. I don't say a cuss word. I don't do anything bad. And then on the field, everybody, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and people, and it's crazy how people are just celebrating both sides of this. Yep. Which is like what? It never, <laughs> it never put it together. Like how unrealistic that is, and how uh, how none of these people are really who you think they are. Like who is who is that way? Who is that way
1: really? And I shared with you, Darren's never heard this before. But when, when I was asking you to be on for this week's episode, Reggie, I shared with you that my first five years working at the NBA. I was assigned to the All-Star game. And at the All-Star game, they would assign you to to be with either the East All-Stars or the West All-Stars, and then the rookie team or the sophomore team. So each each year, alternate. And the first thing that they did to these players, when I say did to, it, it was for their benefit at the time, but I want people to hear the pressure that was there, is all the players would be put in a room. So we'd go, okay, I'm with the East. The entire East would go into a room, and we'd be put in front of the director of security for the NBA. His name was Bernie at the time, if anyone wants to look it up. And Bernie would take the players through how they are a target for this entire weekend. Keep this phone over here. Make sure no one's taking a picture of that. You're a target on this piece over here. When you go out to the club, make sure that no one's seeing you do this. Don't say this out loud, right? Having to be reminded, essentially, that – your entire life is on public display. And I know people are gonna say boo-hoo when they hear me saying this, but it's important to have someone on like you, Reggie, like to, to, to back this point up, is you're talking about 18, 19-year-old guys. Okay, fine, all the way up into their 30s. But now, when you go out, you're a single guy, and now all of a sudden, well, okay, you make the wrong move when you're out, someone snaps a picture of that, everyone's got phones on their, on their camera now, Something that a quote regular person could do, could mess up with, could just be a normal part of everyday interaction that wasn't that volatile. And now all of a sudden that's front page news. And, and, oh, and Reggie, that's pressure, right? Like, like I, I just want people to know that, yes, you're making millions, you know, yes, you're playing in front of millions of people on TV, thousands in the stadium, and it's awesome. And you get – if people Google Reggie's picture, they'll see him with the face paint on, and he was that warrior on the field, and it's a cool image to see. But what they're not taking into consideration is your life is literally under a microscope all the time. And when we talk about why athletes crack – why we see some of the pressure build to a certain point, and we talk about the cumulative nature of stress and trauma, that this is a piece of these athletes' life that people don't think about that weighs so heavily on them.
2: Oh, my gosh. So, this a little story. So, I, I, love, I love going out to eat. Love going out to eat. Love going to nice, expensive steakhouses if I could. Like every now and then with my wife. I love doing it.
0: Who it. doesn't? Who yeah, doesn't?
2: right? Love a good steak. But when I go, I very, very, very rarely get any alcohol. And it doesn't because all I know is someone just has to snap a picture a certain way, say a certain, say a certain thing. And, oh, Reggie's getting trashed. Reggie's blacking out with his wife. Reggie's doing this. Here's the picture. prove. proof. And as a player, you knew you knew that, one, when you're going out in whatever area that you're going out with, there's going to be people there that are tied to the team that are watching your move, every single move. But then you have the fans who are watching it. <laughs> and then the fans – You have fans who know, everyone knows who you are. Everyone's constantly looking to see you slip up in any type of way. Plus you do have people that see you as a target. People look at you as opportunity and you have family members look at you as an opportunity. Everyone looks at you as something that you're like, something that you can give to them and they're constantly taking and you're in this your is, this, all this the all by
0: the by the, by the way this is a recurring theme on our show
2: <laughs> oh yeah it's it's it is <laughs> and what, what is. and
0: what that constantly taking and what the setup of family members constantly taking does to mental health this is not a normal situation humans weren't built like this
2: oh and the job in itself the fact that you know most people think that it's everyone's rolling in money and the you are in a besides three to four, I'd say five at most. Everybody that's on that team is there on a week to week job. Like it's week to week. Like any mistake can get you out of there. Any mistake. I've seen people, uh, release just weird alter weird interactions with someone where they were next to the guy who made a mistake. Um, they were around this guy and this guy was poisonous, and they, you know, they hung around him. So they're guilty by association. So they're done, never to be seen again, never to get another job again. It's such a fragile situation that you're navigating just having the job.
1: I want, it, Reggie, I want to, I want to, I want to repeat what you just said in layman's terms for people because not everyone's a football fan, maybe who's watching. Mm-hmm. You just said three to five guys on a team are. Basically, guaranteed their spot. These are 53 man rosters. (laughs) Okay. So you're talking about 50 to 48 players who are playing for their careers on a daily basis. And by the way, I'm not going to mention names, but Darren and I work with NFL players who have said to us the second I've been drafted, I've known there's been an X on my back of how can I be replaced with a younger, faster, better version of me who's cheaper. OK, so for everyone out there now that I'm bringing it back to get using layman's terms, we've all been in the situation at work in a corporate office where we're like, oh, man, like, how's my production been? Like, when's my performance review coming up? You know, what are they thinking of me? Right. Whatever level you're at, entry level, manager, director, C-suite, unless you're the owner of the entire organization. Right. So so think about that angst that you have as an office employee of are they going to replace me is there someone else out there that's stronger faster better whatever than me okay and as an nfl player as a as a professional athlete generally okay because this is a cross sports you feel like they're coming after you and like you don't have this guaranteed spot it's more so in the nfl i'll admit that because there's not the guaranteed contracts reggie right but it's amazing you know that you know the, the 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 volatility of what you deal with on a day-to-day basis because of what you just said and then the, again i'm going to give an analogy to the office setting you said if you say thing to the wrong person or you're standing next to the guy who's the guy right again how many times have we all all been in that situation in an office where like you know the the VP's brother gets hired into this position, you know that they're the favorite child or they're the favorite daughter or sister or mother or whatever it is to the organization. And you're like, if I'm not in good with this person, my job's on the line.
2: Yeah, the league is exactly the same in that regard. It is exactly the same. It is such a who you know thing. Um, it's built com- completely on relationships. Talent helps, but you really, it's a game. It's just, it really is a game. Um, as far as it's a, it's a real Machiavellian. (laughs) It's, it's, you have to be very strategic in that environment, just like you, just like any entrepreneurs who are listening to this or anybody who's in business, it's the exact same, except you're the business. And it's, And then you add in the fact that you're doing a job that has a 100% injury rate. It's not an if thing; it's a when thing. And you know each year you're gonna have. I've never
0: heard someone say that ever. That's hilarious and horrible at the same time.
2: And horrible. You, it's a 100% injury rate. So you know you're gonna have a thing, and you know you're gonna be hurt as soon as camp is over, like beginning before the season's even started, jerk. And it's it's not just hurt like oh my elbow or my wrist or like no i am significantly hurt (laughs) but like the only way i'm getting through practice is i gotta pop pain pills i have to like be because it took you everything to just get to this fragile situation and then I have all this stuff I got, now even if I say I'm living in a one bedroom apartment and it's just me and I don't have any kids, I still sacrifice my whole everything to get to this point to begin with. And it's in uh, as in any mistake that I make can get me up out of here. Like, so you're trying to balance that while being hurt the whole time and managing your issues with injuries. Everyone on the outside is looking at you as a target nobody as far as like your friends family close acquaintances except for people who are in the environment even can relate to what's to relate to you you can't talk to anyone and the advice you get from other people even if it's coming from a great source you really can't listen to it because it's not the environment you're in is so much different than what they're going through you are completely isolated completely isolated and not and then and then we had social media when I was playing and people were taking pictures and catching you and stuff. And there's a couple times, th- couple times I could have been caught up into some issues, but it's, which makes you paranoid because how, how could it not? I remember just like, I hated having my windows open, not to mention I lived right behind a police station, but the, we, every, how many this is, <laughs> for, for I would say, I think going into my, it was my second or third year, a white Prius would follow me home every day for at least six months. A white Prius. I would take a different route home. I would take a different route home every single day. And then I just started bringing it up with guys on the team. Like, yo, what's going on? Um, so I think someone's following me home. This might be a stalker. And they're like, chill out. Don't act like you know that it's happening. I was like what are you talking about? And I was like, oh. dude, you're an investment. Like they're gonna make sure that your their investment is is doing is being is doing things that are necessary for
0: them it to was, keep it was involved. In. It was someone from the team?
2: Dude, I can't <laughs> prove it. I can't prove it. And I can't but at the same time it was one of those things where it was there's so much that's that's known that you like Having people in the clubs, like for sure. That's why I tell guys when I was telling young guys, don't be out in the clubs because they have people in the clubs. Every team's going to do it because when you think about, look how much money you're they're spending on you. yeah You know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like we're going to make sure that we know what you're doing, so they know what you're doing
1: all the time. This reminds me, Darren, of what Chucky Akobi was saying about um Pat Mahomes. About they were saying the contract that he signed, and people are so wowed by that contract, like. Well, you know, there's expectations of Mahomes, and this is what the league is going to do. This is what the team is going to do to expect that this is the return on the investment that they're getting for what they're putting into that money that they're putting into it. So Reggie, as you're, as you're sharing that, my mind goes to Mahomes and any player for that matter, because it is it's, they look at that as an investment, and what do they need to do to protect that investment
2: Oh, 100 percent. are an, You are an investment you are a commodity. And it's one of those things where it's, and I don't, I don't say this in a like, Oh, I'm bitter, but I I love my career. I love playing NFL. I'm very grateful for that, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you what it isn't. You know, it is what it is. You are a commodity. You know, you have to continuously prove day in and day out that you deserve to be there because they're trying to find reasons to not pay you. And that's the name of the game is you trying to figure out how can I get them to pay me? <laughs> how, do I get, how can I get them to play me? And how can I play, navigate the game of things to get onto the field, especially since it's not talent? And they they'll just put people out there. Like, and it's, it's, there's a lot of inner workings with how things actually happen.
1: And the elephant in the room that we haven't discussed with you, Reggie, and, and you're such a great example of this because I think it plays into the Richard Sherman situation, but then it plays into all professional athletes is you have a story of stuff that you lived through growing up. That you carried with you through your career right so what what have we shared about Richard Sherman so far we shared about what happens at the end of your career when purpose starts to go away we shared in the moment when there's interpersonal relationships with family and how that sometimes gets messy but athletes also are human beings who were children at one point right and children live through stuff through their parents through guardians, through people in their lives, that they then bring with them into their career. In fact, some of the reason probably why some athletes are as myopically focused as they are is because they have to compartmentalize all the shit that they did go through when they were younger and put it now towards something else. Doesn't mean it's healthy, right? Because it, later on, as, as Reg, we're gonna hear from you in a second, it ends up coming to be a, a boiling point. But, but can, you, can you dive a little bit, Reggie, into your story Uh, What you've shared publicly up until this point, you know, and and the chronology of when and how and why you decided to share it, you know, in order to help other people.
2: You know, like I told you, you, a lot of people don't understand that what really separates a guy who was phenomenal in college from a guy from an NFL player or why there is so few people who make it is it really is a mentality. It really is a mindset. And that mindset, it usually comes from, you know, the desire to really want to accomplish one thing. Like so badly, so badly enough that I'm willing to do anything and everything for it. Like me, I wanted to be happy. And I thought that if I was going to, if I was going to be an NFL player, if I accomplished that goal, I would be happy because I was miserable. Um, I grew up, moved around a lot. I was in a lot of situations where I was a minority, where I was part of the majority population, where we had some money and where we were so poor. Um, at times we had to get food from the church. I also from the period about, from four to 12, um, that was when I got molested and I also grew up in the grow, growing up. I had a lot, I went through a lot of mental abuse, physical abuse, as well as the sexual abuse. And I funneled all of that into sports. And I realized that at a very young age that, you know, I was putting all of my anger and all these emotions into sports and I was drawn to it, it like a magnet. And I felt from a really young age that, you know, when I really saw football from the first time that, man, um, this is something that can make me happy because I thought, you know, we've talked about this. I thought happiness was something that was outside of myself and it took years to realize that wasn't the answer, but.
1: You know. is, it, is it fair to say, as you're sharing this, and thank you so much on behalf of everyone who's listening for being that vulnerable is it fair? Because I think the, the common story thread that most people think when it comes to a professional athlete is, oh, that guy, that girl wanted they, – they, they were in their backyard shooting hoops and hitting the shot. I mean, we just finished the NBA Finals, so, so good good reference point. They were hitting that shot to, to, to seal the NBA Finals because every day of their life they just dreamed of being on the big stage and, and they love the sport itself. And it's fascinating to hear from you that what you were chasing was happiness. You weren't chasing this thing called football.
2: No, it, football is just, is, it's just the tool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a tool to get the thing that you want, whether it's a bunch of money, or you want nice cars, or fame, or, you know, uh, whatever it may be football is just a vehicle for that. And I would want, I use football as a vehicle to find happiness and contentment because it felt because up for 27 years up to my, I mean, up, up until I retired, I felt as if it was this trauma after trauma, struggle after struggle, pain, pain moment after another painful moment and i thought that if i just get to this one point everything's going to be worth it it's all going to pay off i'm gonna be glad i sacrificed so much to get to this point um because that trauma the trauma and the depression and anxiety and just the cancer that trauma has on you the effect it has on you it's it eats you up a lot. It eats you life, lot. Um, and I thought that if I, was, if I could become a professional football player, that it was going to cure everything. You know, so I fought. So I, and I was willing to do anything to make that happen. Which is why these guys, why certain guys make it and certain guys don't. Because that reason, the reason why they're there in the first place, has to be, it's so, it's so strong. That reason is so big that, like, i put it like this I was willing to, like, I was willing to die for it. Easy. That's an easy thing. Like, death, that was something. Like, but go through just shit after shit after shit to just get to this point. I, I would, every, my, until my last breath, that's what I was going to do, was try to figure out. How, to be a pro, how to be a pro football player. So I could finally be happy for once in my life. Like there's nothing I was gonna, I wasn't gonna do to get to that point. And you're in an environment, not saying that this is everyone, but their reason is just as big as mine. And, that, and that's why it's no wonder why, when I even started sharing my story about getting molested in the abuse that I went through and I started disclosing it to teammates towards the end of my career, it, it was not a shock that most of the guys, that I'm telling you, I, 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 it was probably every single guy. It was like the same thing happened to me, too. Whether it was mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, we all hear the stories about where the environments that most players come out from. Single-parent households, the hood or rural areas, no one had money, you know, abuse trauma all over the place but they never talk about the effects it has on someone in the years and years of not getting it dealt with properly what it does to you and i faced all of that when i retired
1: so you didn't you you're sharing that you didn't really start opening up the teammates until the end of your career right but the like real, the last
2: two or three years last two so, or three
1: years and and do you think that if you had opened up earlier like like looking back on it and and seeing how many guys had gone through something similar do you wish you had opened up earlier or no regrets and it happened the way that it happened and it had
2: to happen it it had to happen how it how it happened especially given you know why would i want anybody to know the worst thing that's ever happened to me you know it was something that i was fully prepared to take to the grave like no one's gonna know this about me Nobody. Um, especially with what's tied to it. You think everyone's going to view you differently. They're going to see you differently. They're going to judge you. You don't want to hear that. So you'd rather just keep it to yourself. And plus, two, the environment is very competitive. Anyone's looking for a reason to get you up out of there. It's not conducive to even talk about this. And then that's why I say towards the end, because I got more comfortable with just myself, than everyone else and i was okay with saying it at that
1: point but at- so, so but but your your willingness to because i think the interesting cross-section here is you shared that you you went towards football looking for happiness i'm, I'm putting words in your mouth but i'm assuming sure. this is what you would say is those years that you played early on up until you finally shared you've made it you are an nfl player but you're realizing you're not getting quote happiness from that is that is that a fair thing for me to say Uh,
2: yeah yeah it's it's you're not going to get happiness from something you you know it's 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 going to be happiness but it's it's the brief kind of happiness that you're going to keep you know going to it like it's not something that it's it's not coming from you which is it's you know i'll talk about that another time but it's it's fleeting yep it's a fleeting kind of happiness which is a dangerous dangerous kind of happiness
1: (laughs) but do you think that your willingness to open up towards the end was because after playing a number of years you realize that this thing called football isn't bringing me happiness anyway so what do i have to lose by sharing is that a possibility of kind of what played into your mind there
2: well that and curiosity because the the thing that shocked me the most was when i started telling people about what happened you know, I kept getting the same answers. Yeah, same thing happened to me. Yeah, same thing happened to me. And I always made sure from the first person that I told about this, you know, how many people have you even said this happened to? Like, you said the same thing happened to you. Like, how many people have you told? And every single answer was this was the first time. So another reason why when it comes to guys – doing something crazy when they're done playing. No, I'm not shocked again, because look at who most of these guys are, where they come from, what the environment they're exposed to every day, you know, what would anybody do?
1: I don't don't want to put word. I don't want to put words in his mouth now, three years later, but when we first launched Reggie and we were doing the same here, sit downs with colleges, Hayden Hurst, who was on the Baltimore Ravens at the time, um, and we were at Towson university, one of the students asked an incredible question, which was, do you feel more comfortable sharing here in front of a large group, what you've been through or in the locker room to your teammates? And he said here in front of a large group. And that shocked me. Right. But, but, but you're, you're, and again, I'm, i I, I wanted to at least give a disclaimer there that I haven't re asked, you know, hate that question now, three years later, but, but at the time. I was so taken aback by that answer because I was like, "Wow, you're in front of fifteen hundred strangers right now, and you feel more comfortable sharing it than you do in your own locker room." Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, not a shock
1: <laughs> <laughs> to you, not a shock.
2: right? <laughs> not yeah, yeah. A shock. It's that's not the place. It's yeah. not that. It's not a very you know they're they've been doing things to help make the environment more welcoming, but when it comes to struggle or Anything that looks like a liability in their eyes. Like, dude, you're not sharing that. No. And, I, and, it, and it's hard to even say, you know, outside of, you know, for your own health, definitely go and talk to someone. But in that environment, oh, it is not, not, not a lot of places are really conducive to really helping people with their mental health struggles
1: so as you as you were coming to the end of your NFL career, how much of it was your own decision because you're just like, this isn't making me happy, um, I dealt with the shit that I dealt with, and I end I have to deal with that actually head on to allow myself to actually find happiness and the way that you describe it to be happy with the person instead of you know searching for it externally because because the common misconception I think with with you know professional athletes is you all leave the sport because you got too slow or because you put on too much weight or because you know um you know another player did beat you out and i think you you have a different narrative to share
2: no i could no i i could probably still be playing (laughs) out if i (laughs) wanted to i um i left so i was in denver i um I got cut in first cuts at, at a training camp and I'm I'm telling you, I promise you, I was so grateful that I got cut because I knew it was it was a wrap. I was over training camp. I was over playing. I just didn't want to pay my starting bonus back at that point. <laughs> so I was like, please cut me. Um, and then I could have, and then I had a chance uh, with two other teams, when um, later on in that season to come out, and I told them both no, I could have ke- I could have kept playing, yep. But you know, plus, but it was just me too. I was bursting out the seams at that point. I had twenty seven years worth of trauma that had that was compounding at this period of time. I hadn't dealt with it the right way. Um, I knew football as a coping mechanism wasn't working how it used to work. And I knew that I needed to change. I needed to change. I needed to do something different. So when I got released, in my mind, I was just like, well, I know what I got to do. I need to go get some help. Like, because I'm screwed up. Like, I need to go get some help. And that's what I did. Um, And I was, I don't regret it for a second. I don't miss it. I don't, you know, I, I, I feel like most guys where you miss it sometimes. You miss certain things about you know, but no, I'm glad I
1: left. <laughs> it, you know, and Reggie now, you know, he's a member of our alliance. If you, if you you know, definitely give him a follow on LinkedIn, but as all of his other social channels, it, you know, he, he's a vulnerable guy who's sharing things that you don't hear current players sharing because of the very reasons that Reggie just, you know, highlighted, which is someone's trying to replace him. Oh, that's looked at as a weakness. Oh, you know, I'm going to lose that spot on the team. But people need to know that these things are happening, and and they need to know that this is going on behind the scenes. And, you know, tying this all in a bow, because we started the conversation with Darren, you know, addressing the Richard Sherman situation, and and I think the Richard Sherman situation is not the main focal point of what we're talking about here, Reggie. It's the Richard Sherman story is a microcosm of the larger issue of how our media and our society treats this topic is... Now, with all that Reggie just shared, what a player goes into their playing career carrying in terms of that heavy bag of stuff, okay? He just said how many guys did he turned to that for the first time said, I've been through the same thing, and it was so many of them, right? But that there's not the outlet to talk about it. So you have to assume, because we're all human beings, Richard Sherman has a bag of stuff that he's carrying, then you've got the day-to-day interactions that Darren was slightly joking about but but also being serious about like hey man you know I, I was a member of the fam back in the day are you hooking me up you know i'm i'm part of this group right like all the demands on you all the interactions from a family perspective and then <laughs> with richard Sermon, these end of career questions as well so you combine these things together And I want people to understand that that's what mental health is. You use the magical term, Reggie, you said compounded, right? Compounded together is all these things. And what we do as a society, when we look at the actions that we see on a video, when we see Delante West on a street corner and his shirt is off or something like that, or we see Kanye West saying something and we, we think it's a little volatile what he's saying, and we point at those examples and we say, see that? That's this, right? And we just paint it with this label. That's what sets us back because it's not taking into consideration the day-to-day of the stuff that we all go through, right? And so- It's lazy. It's, it's so lazy. It's lazy. And, and in being lazy, Reggie, it, it, what it does is it further perpetuates this idea that there is the sick group of people who are messed up, and then there's the healthy, normal, fine people who are are okay. And what that does to to, to hurt the mental health narrative is, all the people who think they live in this four out of five, 80%, I'm healthy, fine, okay, Richard Sherman's the messed up one, how many suicides come from that group? How many awful overdoses come from that group? How many times do you hear the story, not that person, you never would have thought them, they were the life of the party. They were the ones who were smiling and brightening up the room. You would never, you would never know. Even
2: when I was suicidal, I was life of the party guy. I was all of that. I, you know, Reggie's always happy. Reggie's always this. Reggie always that. And I was the exact opposite internally. All the time. The whole time. All throughout college, all throughout my entire time. And nobody knew that. So when you're like, but we, we love to label things. It's, it's, that's why I said it's lazy. It's so lazy and it really does people a disservice who are living through like a lot of these conditions who are really going through it. And uh, man, it really, it really boils me. It really, Reggie, it really what's,
1: what's sexier for a newspaper to print? Richard Sherman's been hanging out and having a difficult time to getting out of bed a little bit each morning. So he's been getting up at 1030 instead of nine and he's dragging a little bit as he's trying to get himself to go to the gym. Is that more interesting or is it more interesting saying he threatened to kill himself? He, he, he was drinking two bottles of alcohol, right? So what they do is they take this, you know, th- this cartoon character version of what mental health is. And the reason I gave the mundane example is because I don't know a person in this world who hasn't had days and months in their life where it's like, it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning right now. And I feel like I'm carrying a boulder on my back and I'm not clear when I'm in the office and I'm thinking about a report I got to give or a presentation I have to deliver. This is what mental health is. And yet we're not allowing these mundane everyday stories of what the it is come out. Because we're having to paint it with these salacious headlines. That's right. killing people. Literally killing people. To
2: sell. To sell. To sell. It, which is just terrible. It was one of those things where, you know, it's, you know, it's going on. You know it. And more people are aware of it now, now than they were before, about just, you know, how some of the journaling, I mean, the journalists are these days and how some of the media is these days Um, with reporting the truth and reporting facts. And it's it's really disappointing because there's so much good that could be done and there's so much awareness that could be brought to areas and people who are really needing this help. But it's not happening because we have to sell at the end of the day, this is a business, you know, we have to make money. Yep. That's, it is what it is. That's, that's the other side of it too, which, you know, I, I, just, you know, and at the end of the day, I just really want, you know, Richard and a lot of athletes, cause you know, I work with a lot of athletes to just get the help that they need and deal with a lot of the issues that they can deal with. And, you know, we that's why as a community you know former guys we really had tried to look out for each other because you know finding people who can relate and finding people who can understand and you know you've talked to a bunch of athletes and it's and you've also talked to people in the military and it's funny how we all get each other like athletes and people in the military it's like same environment (laughs) same thing we get each other so well um so, no, I'm just, I just want him to get the help that he needs.
1: And, and, and Reggie, that, you know, a great way to end is you talk about, you know, athletes, you talk about military. There was a time where even military was kind of put in their own bucket that no one can understand what it's like to be in war. No one could understand what it's like to lose a brother in arms, right? And in some respects, there's reality to that. But when you start to say loss and trauma, and difficult life experiences, and volatility, and constant disarray. That's where, when you say we talk the same language, that's the same language that you're talking about. And this bigger concept of same here is that we have to start breaking down the silos of, well, the only person who can talk to a mother who lost their child to suicide is another mother who lost her child to suicide. When we operate in those buckets, what happens is there's less people to help one another and you okay. feel like you're isolated and you feel like there's no one else that could understand what you've been through. That's not good for society. That, and, and what it's good for is selling medications. It's good for selling certain services that are sold out there, right? Like you could only relate to these people. So you got to do this, breaking down these silos, understanding what trauma is, how it's relatable to each other this is the work that we do, bud. This is this is why we have the conversations that we do. And, um, you know, I'm just – I'm so appreciative of you coming on. I'm appreciative that you continue to share your story the way that you do. You know, uh, a little bit foreshadowing for the people who are listening. We've got uh, this grant that we got from the NFLPA. So I'll look forward to be bringing Reggie to one or some, hopefully some, schools that we'll be able to go out to to be able to share – more of his story and one of them hopefully being his, his hometown school in, in Sacramento so shout yeah. out to to, to, to yeah. We'll see.
2: We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah.
1: you know and and we're just going to keep doing this because the only way to break this down is grassroots and go you know these podcasts in person to these schools it's not going to happen through billions of dollars in advertisements. That's just, that's unfortunately you can't compete with those messages that are out there, but it's going to happen with these one-to-one and one-to-one to -to many conversations. So Reds, thank you so much for coming on, dude. I I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, no problem. Thanks
1: for having me on. It was a blast. Awesome brother. So on, on behalf of Darren, on behalf of Theo, this is Eric Houston. Uh, You've listened to, we're all a little crazy and we'll look forward to getting with you next week. Thanks so much. You just heard we're all a little crazy brought to you by the hashtag same here, global mental health movement and the hockey podcast network.